part three chapter twenty four of the tree of heaven by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three victory chapter twenty four the young men had gone morton ellis who had said he was damned if he'd fight for his country and austin mitchell who had said he hadn't got a country and monier owen who had said that england was not a country you could fight for george wadham had gone long ago that michael said was to be expected even a weak gust could sweep young wadham off his feet and he had been fairly carried away he could no more resist the vortex of the war than he could resist the vortex of the arts michael had two pitiful memories of the boy one of young wadham swaggering into stephen's room in uniform the first time he had it on flushed and pleased with himself and talking excitedly about the great game and one of young wadham returned from the front mature and hard not talking about the great game at all and wincing palpably when other people talked a young wadham who they said ought to be arrested under the defence of the realm act as a quencher of war enthusiasms the others had gone later one by one each with his own gesture mitchell and monier owen when stephen went ellis the day after stephen's death it had taken stephen's death to draw him only michael remained he told them they were mistaken if they thought their going would inspire him to follow them it and stephen's death merely intensified the bitterness he felt towards the war he was more than ever determined to keep himself pure from it consecrated to his forlorn hope if they fell back all the more reason why he should go on and while he waited for the moment of vision he continued stephen's work on the green review stephen had left it to him when he went out michael tried to be faithful to the tradition he thus inherited but gradually stephen's spirit disappeared from the review and its place was taken by the clear hard unbreakable thing that was michael's mind and michael knew that he was beginning to make himself felt but stephen's staff such as it was and nearly all his contributors had gone to the war one after another and michael found himself taking all their places he began to feel a strain which he took to be the strain of overwork and he went down to renton to recover that was on the tuesday that followed veronica's sunday he thought that down there he would get away from everything that did him harm from his father's and mother's eyes from his sister's proud cold face and from his young brother's smile and from veronica's beauty that saddened him and from the sense of nicky's danger that brooded as a secret obsession over the house he would fill up the awful empty space he thought for a whole fortnight i shall get away from this infernal war but he did not get away from it on every stage of the journey down he encountered soldiers going to the front he walked in the park at darlington between his trains and wounded soldiers waited for him on every seat shuffled towards him round every turning hobbled after him on their crutches down every path their eyes looked at him with a shrewd hostility he saw the young yorkshire recruits drinking in the open spaces sergeant's eyes caught and measured him appraising his physique behind and among them he saw drayton's and revelo's and stephen's eyes and young wadham's eyes strange and secretive and hard 
at rayburn michael's train was switched off to a side platform in the open before he left darlington a thin light rain had begun to fall from a shred of blown cloud and at rayburn the burst mass was coming down the place was full of the noise of rain the drops tapped on the open platform and hissed as the wind drove them in a running stream they drummed loudly on the station roof but these sounds went out suddenly covered by the trampling of feet a band of highlanders with their bagpipes marched into the station they lined up solemnly along the open platform with their backs to michael's train and their faces to the naked rails on the other side higher up michael could see the breast of an engine it was backing backing towards the troop train that waited under the cover of the roof he could hear the clank of the coupling and the recoil at that sound the band had their mouths to their bagpipes and their fingers ready on the stops two or three officers hurried down from the station doors and stood ready the train came on slowly packed with men men who thrust their heads and shoulders through the carriage windows and knelt on the seats and stood straining over each other's backs to look out men whose faces were scarlet with excitement men with open mouths shouting for joy the officers saluted as it passed it halted at the open platform and suddenly the pipers began to play michael got out of his train and watched solemnly in the grey evening of the rain with their faces set in a sort of stern ecstasy the highlanders played to their comrades michael did not know whether their tune was sad or gay it poured itself into one mournful savage sacred cry of salutation and valediction when it stopped the men shouted there were voices that barked hoarsely and broke voices that roared young voices that screamed strung up by the skirling of the bagpipes the pipers played to them again and suddenly michael was overcome pity shook him and grief and an intolerable yearning and shame for one instant his soul rose up above the music and was made splendid and holy the next he cowered under it stripped and beaten he clenched his fists hating this emotion that stung him to tears and tore at his heart and at the hardness of his mind as the troop train moved slowly out of the station the pipers piping more and more shrilly swung round and marched beside it to the end of the platform the band ceased abruptly and the men answered with shout after shout of violent joy they reared up through the window straining for the last look and were gone michael turned to the porter who lifted his luggage from the rack what regiment are they he said cameron sir going to the front the clear uncanny eyes of veronica's father pursued him now at last he had got away from it in rathdale at any rate there was peace the hills and their pastures and the flat river fields were at peace and in the villages of morfe and renton there was peace for as yet only a few men had gone from them the rest were tied to the land and they were more absorbed in the hay harvest than in the war even the old belgians in veronica's cottage were at peace they had forgotten for three days michael himself had peace he went up to veronica's hill and sat on it and thought how for hundreds of miles north south east and west of him there was not a soul whom he knew in all his life he had never been more by himself this solitude of his had a singular effect on michael's mind 
so far from having got away from the war he had never been more conscious of it than he was now what he had got away from was other people's consciousness from the beginning the thing that threatened him had been not the war but this collective war spirit clamouring for his private soul for the first time since august nineteen fourteen he found himself thinking in perfect freedom and with perfect lucidity about the war he had really known half the time that it was the greatest war of independence that had ever been as for his old hatred of the british empire he had seen long ago that there was no such thing in the continental sense of empire there was a unique thing the rule more good than bad of an imperial people he had seen that the strength of the allies was in exact proportion to the strength and the enlightenment of their democracies reckoning by decades there could be no deadlock in the struggle the deadlock meant a ten years armistice and another war he could not help seeing these things his objection to occupying his mind with them had been that they were too easy now that he could look at it by himself he saw how the war might take hold of you like a religion it was the great war of redemption and redemption meant simply thousands and millions of men in troop ships and troop trains coming from the ends of the world to buy the freedom of the world with their bodies it meant that the very fields he was looking over and this beauty of the hills those unused ramparts where no batteries were hid and the small silent villages morph and renton were bought now with their bodies he wondered how at this moment any sane man could be a pacifist and wondering he felt a reminiscent sting of grief and yearning but he refused resolutely to feel any shame his religion also was good and anyhow you didn't choose your religion it chose you and on saturday the letters came john's letter enclosing the wire from the war office and the letter that nicky's colonel had written to anthony nicky was killed michael took in the fact and the date it was last sunday there were some official regrets but they made no impression on him john's letter made no impression on him last sunday nicky was killed he had not even unfolded the colonel's letter yet the close black lines showed through the thin paper their closeness repelled him he did not want to know how his brother had died at least not yet he was afraid of the colonel's letter he felt that by simply not reading it he could put off the unbearable turn of the screw he was shivering with cold he drew up his chair to the wide open hearth-place where there was no fire he held out his hands over it the wind swept down the chimney and made him colder and he felt sick he had been sitting there about an hour when suzanne came in and asked him if he would like a little fire he heard himself saying no thank you in a hard voice the idea of warmth and comfort was disagreeable to him suzanne asked him then if he had had bad news and he heard himself saying yes and suzanne trying trying very gently to persuade him that it was perhaps only that monsieur nicky was wounded no then said the old woman he is killed and she began to cry michael couldn't stand that he got up and opened the door into the outer room and she passed through before him sobbing and whimpering her voice came to him through the closed door in a sharp cry telling jean that monsieur nicky was dead and jean's voice came hushing her then he heard the feet of the old man shuffling across the kitchen floor in the outer door opening and shutting softly 
and through the windows at the back of the room he saw without heeding as the belgians passed and went up into the fields together weeping leaving him alone they had remembered it was then that michael read the colonel's letter and learned the manner of his brother's death Quote, about a quarter past four o'clock in the afternoon his battalion was being pressed back when he rallied his men and led them in as gallant an attack as was ever made by so small a number in this war he was standing on the enemy's parapet when he was shot through the heart and fell by a quarter to five the trench was stormed and taken owing to his personal daring and impetus and to the affection and confidence he inspired we hear it continually said of our officers and men that they're all the same and i dare say as far as pluck goes they are but if i may say so we all felt that your son had something that we haven't got End quote. michael lay awake in the bed that had been his brother's marriage bed the low white ceiling sagged and bulged above him for three nights the room had been as if nicky and veronica had never gone from it they had compelled him to think of them they had lain where he lay falling asleep in each other's arms the odd thing had been that his acute and vivid sense of them had in no way troubled him it had been simply there like some exquisite atmosphere intensifying his peace he had had the same feeling he always had when veronica was with him he had liked to lie with his head on their pillow to touch what they had touched to look at the same things in the same room to go in and out through the same doors over the same floors remembering their hands and feet and eyes and saying to himself they did this and this or that must have pleased them it ought to have been torture to him and he could not imagine why it was not and now on this fourth night he had no longer that sense of nicky and veronica together the room had emptied itself of its own memory and significance he was aware of nothing but the bare spiritual space between him and nicky he lay contemplating it steadily and without any horror he thought this ends it of course i shall go out now i might have known that this would end it he knew he remembered how nicky had come to him in his room that night in august he could see himself sitting on the side of his bed half-dressed and nicky standing over him talking nicky had taken it for granted even then that he would go out some time he remembered how he had said not yet he thought of course this must have been what he meant and presently he fell asleep exhausted and at the same time appeased it was morning michael's sleep dragged him down it drowned and choked him as he struggled to wake something had happened he would know what it was when he came clear out of this drowning now he remembered nicky was killed last sunday he knew that but that wasn't all of it there was something else that followed on suddenly his mind leaped on it he was going out he would be killed too and because he was going out and because he would be killed he was not feeling nicky's death so acutely as he should have thought he would have felt it he had been let off that he lay still a moment looking at the thing he was going to do feeling a certain pleasure in its fitness drayton and Revelot and lawrence had gone out and they had been killed ellis and mitchell and monier owen were going out and they would certainly be killed wadham had gone out and young vereker and they also would be killed last sunday it was nicky now it must be he 
his mind acknowledged the rightness of the sequence without concern it was aware that his going depended on his own will but never in all his life had he brought so little imagination to the act of willing he got up bathed in the river dressed and ate his breakfast he accepted each moment as it arrived without imagination or concern then his mother's letter came francis wrote among other things i know how terrible you will be feeling it because i know how you cared for him i wish i could comfort you we could not bear it michael if we were not so proud of him he answered this letter at once he wrote i couldn't bear it either if i were not going out but of course i'm going now as he signed himself your loving michael he thought that settles it yet if he had considered what he meant by settling it he would have told himself that he meant nothing that last night had settled it that his resolution had been absolutely self-determined and absolutely irrevocable then and that his signature gave it no more sanctity or finality than it had already if he was conscript he was conscript to his own will he went out at once with his letter though he knew that the post did not leave renton for another five hours it was the sliding of this light thing and its fall into the letter-box that shook him into realization of what he had done and of what was before him he knew now why he was in such a hurry to write that letter and to post it by those two slight acts not dreadful nor difficult in themselves he had put it out of his power to withdraw from the one supremely difficult and dreadful act a second ago while the letter was still in his hands he could have backed out because he had not given any pledge now he would have to go through with it and he saw clearly for the first time what it was that he would have to go through he left the village and went up to renton moor and walked along the top for miles without knowing or caring where he went and seeing nothing before him but his own act and what must come afterwards by to-morrow or the next day at the latest he would have enlisted by six months at the latest three months if he had what they called luck he would be in the trenches fighting and killing not because he chose but because he would be told to fight and kill by the simple act of sending that letter to his mother he was committed to the whole ghastly business and he funked it there was no use lying to himself and saying that he didn't funk it even more than the actual fighting and killing he funked looking on at fighting and killing as for being killed he didn't think he would really mind that so much it would come it must come as a relief from the horrors he would have to see before it came nicky had said that they were unbelievable he had seemed to think you couldn't imagine them if you hadn't seen them but michael could he had only to think of them to see them now he could make war pictures for himself in five minutes every bit as terrifying as the things they said happened under fire any fool if he chose to think about it could see what must happen only people didn't think they rushed into it without seeing anything and then if they were honest they owned that they funked it before and during and afterwards and all the time nicky didn't but that was only because nicky had something that the others hadn't got that he michael hadn't it was all very well to say as he had said last night this ends it or as their phrase was everything goes in now it was indeed as far as he was concerned the end of beauty and the making of beauty and of everything worth caring for but it was also the beginning of a life that michael dreaded more than fighting and killing and being killed 
a life of boredom of obscene ugliness of revolting contacts of intolerable subjection for of course he was going into the ranks as nicky had gone and already he could feel the heat and pressure and vibration of male bodies packed beside and around him on the floor he could hear their breathing he could smell their fetid bedding their dried sweat of course he was going through with it only this was the thought his mind turned round and round on in horror at itself he funked it he funked it so badly that he would really rather die than go through with it when he was actually killed that would be his second death months before it could happen he would have known all about it he would have been dead and buried and alive again in hell what shocked michael was his discovering not that he funked it now which was natural almost permissible but that he had funked it all the time he could see now that since the war began he had been struggling to keep out of it his mind had fought every suggestion that he should go in it had run to cover like a mad frightened animal before the thoughts that hunted it down funk pure funk had been at the bottom of all he had said and thought and done since august nineteen fourteen his attitude to the war his opinion of the allies and of the government and of its conduct of the war all his wretched criticisms and disparagements what had they been but the very subterfuges of funk his mother had known it his father had known it and dorothy and john it was not conceivable that nicky did not know it that was what had made the horror of the empty space that separated them lawrence stephen had certainly known it he could not understand his not knowing it himself not seeing that he struggled yet he must have seen that nicky's death would end it anyhow it was ended if not last night then this morning when he posted the letter but he was no longer appeased by this certainty of his he was going out all right but merely going out was not enough what counted was the state of mind in which you went lawrence had said victory victory is a state of mind well it was a state that came naturally to nicky and did not come naturally to him it was all very well for nicky he had wanted to go he had gone out victorious before victory michael would go beaten before defeat he thought if this is volunteering give me compulsion all the same he was going all morning and afternoon as he walked and walked his thoughts went the same round and in the evening they began again but on a new track he thought it's all very well to say i'm going but how can i go he had lawrence stephen's work to do lawrence's life and letters were in his hands how could he possibly go and leave lawrence dead and forgotten this view seemed to him to be sanity and common sense as his mind darted up this turning it was driven back he saw lawrence stephen smiling at him as he had smiled at him when revelo died lawrence would have wanted him to go more than anything he would have chosen to be dead and forgotten rather than keep him at night these thoughts left him he began to think of nicky and of his people his father and mother would never be happy again nicky had been more to them than he was or even john he had been more to dorothy it was hard on dorothy to lose nicky and drayton too he thought of nicky and veronica poor little ronnie what would she do without nicky he thought of veronica sitting silent in the train and looking at him with her startling look of spiritual maturity he thought of veronica singing to him over and over again 
london bridge is broken down build it up with gold so fine build it up with stone so strong he thought of veronica running about the house and crying where's nicky i want him monday was like sunday except that he walked up carva hill in the morning and up greffington edge in the afternoon instead of renton moor whichever way he went his thoughts went the same way as yesterday the images were if anything more crowded and more horrible but they had lost their hold he was tired of looking at them about five o'clock he turned abruptly and went back to the village the same way by which he came and as he swung down the hill road in sight of renton suddenly there was a great clearance in his soul when he went into the cottage he found veronica there waiting for him she sat with her hands lying in her lap and she had the same look he had seen when she was in the train ronny she stood up to greet him as if it had been she who was staying there and he who had incredibly arrived they told me you wouldn't be long she said i you haven't come because you were ill or anything she smiled and shook her head. No, not for anything like that. I didn't write, Ronnie. I couldn't. I know. Their eyes met, measuring each other's grief. That's why I came. I couldn't bear to leave you to it. I'd have come before, Michael, if you'd wanted me. They were sitting together now on the settle by the hearth place. I can't understand your being able to think of me, he said. Because of Nicky? If I hadn't got Nicky, it's all the more reason why I should think of his people. He looked up. I say, how are they, mother and father? They're very brave. It's worse for them than it is for me, she said. What they can't bear is your going. Well, they got my letter, then. Yes, this morning. What did she say? She said, oh, no, not Michael. It was a good thing you wrote, though. Your letter made her cry. It made even Dorothy cry. They hadn't been able to before. I should have thought if they could stand Nicky's going. That was different. They know it was different. Do you suppose I don't know how different it was? They mean I funked it and Nicky didn't? They mean that Nicky got what he wanted when he went, and that there was nothing else he could have done so well except flying or engineering. It comes to the same thing. Nicky simply wasn't afraid. Yes, Michael. He was afraid. What of? He was most awfully afraid of seeing suffering. Well, so am I. And I'm afraid of suffering myself, too. I'm afraid of the whole blessed thing from beginning to end. That's because you keep on seeing the whole blessed thing from beginning to end. Nicky only saw little bits of it. The bits he liked. Machine guns working beautifully, and shells dropping in the right places, and trenches being taken. And then remember, Nicky hadn't so much to give up. He had you. Oh, no. He knew that was the way to keep me. Ronny, if Nicky had been like me, could he have kept you? She considered it. Yes, if he could have been himself, too. He couldn't, you see. He never could have felt like that. Well, I don't say he could. Well, the awful thing is feeling like that. And the magnificent thing is feeling like that, and going all the same. Everybody knows that but you, Michael. Yes, he said. I'm going. But I'm not going to lie about it and say I don't funk it, because I do. You don't really. I own I didn't the first night, the night I knew Nicky was killed. 
because I couldn't think of anything else but Nicky. It was after I'd written to Mother that it came on, because I knew then I couldn't back out of it. That's what I can't get over, my having to do that, to clinch it, because I was afraid. My dear, my dear, thousands of men do that every day for the same reason. Only they don't find themselves out, and if they did, they wouldn't care. You're finding yourself out all the time and killing yourself with caring. Of course I care. Can't you see it proves that I never meant to go at all? It proves that you knew you'd have to go through hell first, and you were determined that even hell shouldn't keep you back. Ronny, that's what it has been. Simply hell. It's been inconceivable. Nothing, absolutely nothing out there could be as bad. It went on all yesterday and today till you came. I know, Michael. That's why I came. To get me out of it? To get you out of it. It's all over, she said. It may come back out there. It won't. Out there you'll be happy. I saw Nicky on Sunday the minute before he was killed, Michael, and he was happy. He would be. He was silent for a long time. Ronnie, did Nicky know I funked it? Never. He knew you wouldn't keep out. All he minded was your missing any of it. She got up and put on her hat. I must go. It's getting late. Will you walk up to Morph with me? I'm sleeping there in the hotel. No, I say, I'm not going to let you turn out for me. I'll sleep at the hotel. She smiled at him with a sort of wonder, as if she thought, Has he forgotten so soon? And he remembered. I can't stop here, she said. That would be more than even I can bear. He thought, she's gone through hell herself to get me out of it. May 1916, B.E.F., France My dearest mother and father, Yes, Captain, please. I can hardly believe it myself, but it is so. It was thundering good luck getting into dear old Nicky's regiment. The whole thing's incredible. But promotion's nothing. Everybody's getting it, like lightning now. You're no sooner striped than you're starred. I'm glad I resisted the adjutant and worked up from the ranks. I own it was a bit beastly at the time, quite as beastly as Nicky said it would be. But it was worth while going through with it, especially living in the trenches as a Tommy. There's nothing like it for making you know your men. You can tell exactly what's going to bother them and what isn't. You've got your finger on the pulse of their morale. Not that it's jumpier than yours, it isn't. And their knowing that they haven't got to stand anything that you haven't stood gives you no end of a pull. Honestly, I don't believe I could have faced them if it wasn't for that. So that your morale's the better for it as well as theirs. You know, if you're shot down this minute, it won't matter. The weediest Tommy in your company can carry on. We're a funny crowd in my billet, all risen from the ranks except my senior. John would love us. There's a chap who writes short stories and goes out very earnestly among the corpses to find copy and there's another who was in the publishing business and harks back to it now and then in a dreamy nostalgic way and rather as if he wanted to rub it into us writing chaps what he could do for us only he wouldn't and there's a tailor who swears he could tell a mile off where my tunic came from and a lawyer's clerk who sticks his cigarette behind his ear we used to wonder what he'd do with his revolver till we saw what he did with it they all love thinking of what they've been and telling you about it I almost wish I'd gone into Daddy's business. Then, perhaps I'd know what it feels like to go straight out of a shop or an office 
into the most glorious army in history i forgot the jew pawnbroker at least we think he's a pawnbroker who's always inventing things stupendous and impossible things his last idea was machine howitzers fourteen feet high that take in shells exactly as a machine-gun takes in bullets he says you'll see them in the next war when you ask him how he's going to transport and emplace and hide his machine howitzers he looks dejected and says i never thought of that and has another idea at once even more impossible that reminds me i've seen the tanks nicky's moving fortresses in action i'd give my promotion if only he could have seen them too we mustn't call them fortresses any more they're most violently for attack as far as i can make out nicky's and drayton's thing was something between these and the french ones otherwise one might have wondered whether their plans and models really did go where john says they did i wish i could believe that nicky and drayton really had had a hand in it i'm most awfully grieved to hear that young verrikers reported missing do you remember how excited he used to be dashing about the lawn at tennis and how alice latham used to sit and look at him and jump if you brought her her tea too suddenly let's hope we'll have finished up this damned war before they get little norris love to dorothy and don and ronny your loving mick when frances read that letter she said i wonder if he really is all right he says very little about himself and anthony said then you may be sure he is may thirty first nineteen sixteen b e f france my dear ronny i'm glad mummy and father have got all my letters they won't mind my writing to you this time it really is your turn now thanks for wadham's poems i wish they'd been ellis's it's a shame to laugh at waddy but he has spread himself over flanders hasn't he like the inundations round ypres i'm most awfully touched at dad and mummy wanting to publish mine here they all are just as i wrote them in our billet at night or in the early morning when the others were sleeping and i wasn't i don't know whether they're bad or good i haven't had time to think about them it all seems so incredibly far away even last week seems far away you go on so fast here i'd like ellis and monier owen to see them and to weed out the bad ones but you mustn't ask them to do anything they haven't time either i think you and dorothy and dad will manage it all right among you if you don't i shan't much care of course i'm glad that they've taken you on at the hampstead hospital if it makes you happier to nurse and i'm glad dad put his foot down on your going to vera she gave you up to my people and she can't take you back now i'm sorry for her though so is he have i had any adventures by myself only two i've given up what mother calls my not wanting to go to the party one came off in no man's land the other night i went out with a party and came back by myself unless you count a damaged tommy hanging on to me it began in pleasurable excitement and ended in some perturbation for i had to get him in under cover somehow and my responsibility weighed on me so did he the other was ages ago in a german trench i was by myself because i'd gone in too quick and the party behind me took the wrong turning i did manage to squeeze a chilly excitement out of going on alone then i bumped up against a fat german officer in his revolver that really was an exquisite moment and i was beast enough to be glad i had it all to myself it meant a bag of fifteen prisoners all my own but that was nothing they'd have surrendered to a mouse 
There was no reason why they shouldn't, because I'd fired first and there was no more officer to play up to. But the things you don't do by yourself are a long way the best. Nothing, not even poetry, can be an infantry charge when you're leading it. That's because of your men. It feels as if you were drawing them all up after you. Of course you aren't. They're coming on their own, and you're simply nothing, only a little unimportant part of them, even when you're feeling as if you were God Almighty. I'm afraid it does look awfully as if young Vereker were killed. They may hear, you know, in some roundabout way, through the Red Cross or some of his men. I've written to them. Love to everybody. Certainly you may kiss Nana for me if she'd like it. I wish I liked Waddy more, when you've given him to me. Always your affectionate, Michael. P.S. I don't sound pleased about the publication, but I am. I can't get over their wanting to do it. I thought they didn't care. Ronnie, I've been such a beast to them, when Father tried to read my stuff, bless him, and couldn't. I used to wish to God he'd leave it alone. And now I'd give anything to see his dear old paws hanging on to it and twitching with fright and his eyes slewing round to see if I'm looking at him. June 14th, 1916. B.E.F. France. My dear Ronnie, I'm glad you like them, and I'm glad Father thinks he understands Michael's poems this time, and I'm glad they've made Mother and Dorothy feel happier about me, but they must get it out of their heads that they're my message, or any putrescent thing of that sort. The bare idea of writing a message, or of being supposed to write a message, makes me sick. I know it's beastly of me, but really I'd rather they weren't published at all, if there's the smallest chance of their being taken that way. But if Ellis is doing the introduction, there isn't the smallest chance. Thank God for Ellis. There, I've let off all my beastliness. And now I'll try to answer your letter. Yes. The ecstasy in the last two poems is Nicky's ecstasy. And as Ellis says, it strikes him as absolutely real. I take it that some of Nicky's reality has got through. It's hard on Ellis that he has to take his ecstasy from me, instead of coming out and getting it for himself. But you and Nicky and Lawrence are right. It is absolutely real. I mean it has to do with absolute reality, with God. It hasn't anything to do with having courage or not having courage. It's another state of mind altogether. It isn't what Nicky's man said it was. You're not ashamed of it the next day. It isn't excitement. You're not excited. It isn't a tingling of your nerves. They don't tingle. It's all curiously quiet and steady. You remember when you saw Nicky how everything stood still, and how two times were going on, and you and Nicky were in one time, and Mother was in the other. Well, it's like that. Your body and its nerves aren't in it at all. Your body may be moving violently, with other bodies moving violently round it, but you're still. But suppose it is your nerves. Why should they tingle at just that particular moment, the moment that makes animals afraid? Why should you be so extraordinarily happy? Why should the moment of extreme danger be always the exquisite moment? Why not the moment of safety? Doesn't it look as if danger were the point of contact with reality, and death the closest point? You're through. Actually, you lay hold on eternal life, and you know it. Another thing. It always comes with that little shock of recognition. It's happened before, and when you get near to it again, you know what it is. 
You keep on wanting to get near it, wanting it to happen again. You may lose it the next minute, but you know. Lawrence knew what it was. Nicky knew. June 19th. I'm coming back to it after that interruption, because I want to get the thing clear. I have to put it down as I feel it. There's no other way. But they mustn't think it's something that only Lawrence and Nicky and I feel. The men feel it, too, even when they don't know what it is, and some of them do know. Of course we shall be accused of glorifying war and telling lies about it. Well, there's a Frenchman who has told the truth, piling up all the horrors faithfully, remorselessly, magnificently. But he seems to think people oughtn't to write about this war at all unless they show up the infamy of it as a deterrent so that no government can ever start another one. It's a sort of literary frightfulness. But who is he trying to frighten? Does he imagine that France or England or Russia or Belgium or Serbia will want to start another war when this is over? And does he suppose that Germany, if we don't beat her, will be deterred by his frightfulness? Germany's arrogance will be satisfied when she knows she's made a Frenchman feel like that about it. He's got his truth all right. As Morris would say, that's war. But a peaceful earthquake can do much the same thing. And if our truth, what we've seen, isn't war, at any rate it's what we've got out of it. It's our glory, our spiritual compensation for the physical torture. And there would be a sort of infamy in trying to take it from us. It isn't the French government or the British that's fighting Germany. It's we, all of us. To insist on the world remembering nothing but these horrors is as if men up to their knees in the filth they're clearing away should complain of each other for standing in it and splashing it about. The filth of war and the physical torture, good God, as if the world was likely to forget it, any more than we're likely to forget what we know. You remember because you've known it before and it all hangs together. It's not as if danger were the only point of contact with reality. You get the same ecstasy, the same shock of recognition, and the same utter satisfaction when you see a beautiful thing. At least to me it's like that. You know what Nicky thought it was like. You know what it was like when you used to sit looking and looking at Mother's Tree of Heaven. It's odd, Ronnie, to have gone all your life trying to get reality, trying to get new beauty, trying to get utter satisfaction, to have funked coming out here because you thought it was all obscene ugliness and waste and frustration, and then to come out and to find what you wanted. June 25th. I wrote all that while I could because I want to make them see it. It's horrible that Dorothy should think that Drayton's dead and that Mother should think that Nicky's dead when they wouldn't if they really knew. If they don't believe Lawrence or me, can't they believe Nicky? I'm only saying what he said. But I can't write to them about it because they make me shy. And I'm afraid they'll think I'm only gassing or making poetry as if poetry wasn't the most real thing there is. If anybody can make them see it, you can. Always your affectionate Michael. End of Part 3, Chapter 24 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine